0: Cast. it's not about the corner office it's not about the fancy title it's not even about the extra money responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you and that care takes on many forms this podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P H A L A N X.com. And now, on to today's show. all right listeners hello and welcome to this episode of the responsible leadership podcast I have got an outstanding guest for you today uh Sonia Stoss Sonia thanks for being with us today
1: thank you so much for having me I'm very excited to have this conversation with you
0: no I can't wait to have this conversation and and get into the topics of, of bullying and and uh, toxic workplaces and uh you know before I get going I want to give my listeners a little background on you so uh, after finishing uh, your master's degree in dispute resolution, uh, mm-hmm. you set out to make our increasingly challenging work environments more employee friendly. For the last 10 years, Sonia has created and led learning and development programs that leverage the individual strengths and career interests while amplifying their organizational impact. During the last three years, organizations have experienced a massive exodus of talent due to toxic leaders and hostile work environments that employees are no longer willing to endure. Her goal is to help organizations recognize the patterns of toxic leaders and to provide guidance on how to prevent those situations to begin with. And I love that goal, and I can't wait to hear how you answer that first question I always ask. When you hear the terms responsible leadership, what do they mean to you?
1: That's a very good term, and we use it a lot, but everybody interprets it a little bit differently. To me, in what I infuse in training, responsible leadership says you're not just responsible for your own little box, your own little area. As a responsible leader, you have a duty, ethical, moral, and business-wise to actually look out for your adjacent teams and represent the entire organization. So leadership whether this is a nonprofit or for-profit organization should always include in your personal standard and set of perspective. How is it affecting the entire organization? Only then are you a responsible leader?
0: No, that is a great, uh, that is a great response to that question. And, um, you know, let's just go ahead and hit the ground running here because I think this is a, a topic that a lot of people struggle with in the workplace right now is what is bullying? How do I know if I have been bullied?
1: Right. That's The the big question is, um, do I have a bully? Do I have a toxic leader? Do I have a bad manager? That's the question we get and we struggle with. So there are very clear guidelines of what is one and not the other, because we're looking for pattern and we're looking for symptoms. So if you have somebody who has very low skills on leadership, they don't know how to address people, they're an equal offender, they're awful to everybody, like they have insane work schedules, or they want more work out of people, or they're just rude, or they don't look at people. They have this pattern and this behavior for everybody. That's somebody who probably got promoted because they had technical expertise, or they needed somebody, and he got put in charge of a team But the person never got any training or help or support in actually leading a team of making that shift from an individual contributor where you're just a specialist in an area to actually leading people and make these people thrive. The other big differentiator to a bully is that the bad leader doesn't have the intention to single out one person. They are not intentionally bad. They often don't even have the social skills or awareness to know how they're coming across until you put a mirror in front of them and say, this is how it makes people feel when you scream at the top of your lungs or when you lose your temper. That's all a bad leader who doesn't have the skill sets. And that can be fixed. A bully, on the other hand, is very strategic. They're actually extremely good at reading people, of knowing people's buttons, of how to manipulate people and give them a false narrative. So they're very good at reading people. The other differentiator is they're excellent in managing their own brand and reputation. So you see this Jekyll and Hyde syndrome where they're really good at portraying one person to upper management and a completely different person to their own team. So when you ask yourself are you are you dealing with a bully or a bad manager, look for is one person singled out or is everybody getting the same awful treatment? And the other one is think about intent. Think about whether this person really wants to harm somebody or whether this can be ascribed to not knowing and appreciating different points of view or just being insensitive.
0: Yeah, no. And, and I like those uh, kind of differentiators there, especially when you're talking about the, the kind of the bad boss, the bad manager, mm-hmm. the bad leader, all of those. Right. I mean, and it's, it's, I really wish organizations would get a wrap around how they're creating these folks. But like you just said, promoting people because of technical capabilities and not necessarily uh, looking at those leadership qualities. They're, they're putting people in situations that are very stressful, very out of their comfort zone, and expecting them to be able to help and, and handle other people who have issues. And, and we can really make these these kind of toxic leaders by not investing in leadership development early on in an organization, can't we?
1: For sure. And there are certain areas that cultivate these kind of leaders in particular, for instance, if you have highly competitive organizations like a sales organization, where the mission is really to pin one against the other, to get the best out, to get the sales quota up, to, to have them fight over territory, right? That's an inherently very toxic environment because you're just competing. You're never collaborating or, um, higher education, for instance, where the fight for tenure is extremely strong, where you pin one professor against the other for a limited amount of seats and who produces more, uh, who has more speaking engagement, who publishes more. So you're pinning people against each other and no longer evaluate them whether they're actually a good professor and good for the university. Same with healthcare. You have these highly profitable income bringers like doctors and specialists, and you're pinning them against each other. These are environments where bullies can grow and thrive and are incentivized to be horrible, horrendous humans that take other people, potential competitors out. So you're going from a bad environment to a super toxic environment where bullies who destroy other people's livelihoods and their career because they see them as competition, are incentivized to act out their behaviors
0: yeah no and and, and i like that uh, you know you kind of mentioned that there about how bullies operate because i think most people when when they think of the word bully they have kind of the stereotypical you know like schoolyard bully like i'm going to steal your lunch money and and that's what people think but you know bullies have a lot of different ways that they present themselves right
1: Absolutely. And that's some of the tragic things. And that's why I don't like the word bully so much. But I use it because we don't have a better language and vocabulary right now. But yes, we think of the schoolyard fighting and the bully that we maybe remember from from our school days. The workplace bully has perfected their game basically since high school or since they were in the schoolyard because they act out in different ways. So there's a fantastic site called com or .org, I'm not sure anymore, and they do a lot of research on that for the last 30 years. They educate, they coach, and there's a lot of information that I'm using to educate people and, and companies on that. And they have identified six different specific ones. I'm just going to pick a couple of them. One that we all know um, is the screaming bully. So these are the people that always lose their temper, are at the top of it, but they do it they intimidate you one-on-one for instance so they don't go out and scream for the entire team but they use this nice and violent behavior in private to intimidate to shock to in- make you insecure to demoralize demotivate you and just make you feel like crap every day we also have the double-headed snake where somebody's jackal and hyde. basically they are coming across as sweet and caring and that's what they tell everybody i am this amazing leader who enjoys promoting people and getting them into their next career path and position and i'm just thrive on training and mentoring and caring about people but then they have the other side where they pick one person that triggered them in their behavior that they completely work over so that they lose their job at the end so this process of about two years where they go through a very systematic process of getting that person out of the organization so that's the double-headed snake but there are six different ones they use a whole range of tools and mechanisms to activate their bullying behavior
0: yeah no i think the the most insidious one and and i can't remember what the, the term is that they use on, on the workplace bullying site, but the uh, about resource control and doing things like giving you very short deadlines or, or not giving you access to training or tools that you need. And, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times they kind of con you into forgiving them for it. Say, Oh, well, you know, we, we got budget issues. We got this. They try to make excuses When in reality, they're they're really kind of bullying you to make you, as you just said, kind of look bad at your job and, and feel like you're inadequate,
1: right? Exactly. So one of the mechanisms is control of information. So they will keep you out of meetings that you should be in in order to do your job. They will not give you the full picture of information. So when you present decisions to an executive team, they will look at your work and say but we had decided three weeks ago on x y and z and you didn't know this and you look bad so there's an intentional withholding of information key information that you need to do your job or omission. so they will not disclose all the things that they know that are critical for instance uh, somebody was telling me she did a big project and she went through all the gates and was very good, and she involved everybody, had workshops. And at the end, like before the deadline of launching this project, somebody came and said, did you not include uh, Debbie on this? And she said, no, I didn't know Debbie was even supposed to know anything about it. Well, Debbie is a key stakeholder, and without her approval, nothing works. So you cannot launch tomorrow as you had scheduled. So it's it seems... Business-driven, it seems, other reasons, but it is a highly engineered process of making you fail at every turn. The intent is to prevent that you can do your job, that you do your job well, and to prevent that you gain any power or respect in your team or in your organization and get you out.
0: Yeah, no. See, and, and, and listeners, again, this is why when I talk about the shields of the phalanx and I share these stories about why it is important to share as much information as you can whenever you can, this is a good reason why, because if everybody is sharing information, if everybody is being transparent, and again, I throw out the caveat, yes, there are some things that you are morally, ethically, and legally obligated to not share but if you don't meet those three, you need to be sharing information as much as you can for your team, because then you take some of the power away from these, these bullies because everybody has the information, right? They can't guard it. It's not hoarded in one central location. Um, so yeah, no, and, and I, I, I agree with you there is it's, and it's almost, you're getting kind of in your scenario, you're almost getting kind of a two for one, right? Because the, the bully can, can make the, 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 the boss, I believe you used the, the name Debbie in this scenario, feel like they're not respected and make the target of their bullying feel like they're inadequate because they should have known to check with Debbie. So I think that's the thing is, is bullies are smart. Bullies are really smart people, aren't they?
1: They're very strategic. They're like chess players. And so anybody who wants to fight a bully, quote unquote, who thinks I'm going to outsmart them, I'm going to be ahead. So what the target often does will say, They can't do anything for me. I have been here longer. I know this organization. I work my butt off. I just work harder. I just will set the bar higher of what I deliver. But there's, you feel like as the target that you're always one step behind. Why are you always feeling one step behind? Because that bully has already mapped out your next few months of how they're going to trip you up. They already know how they move. So when they engage, when they go to the the first step is that they're grooming you where they're your best friend and they're trying to get out everything juicy out of you. They want to know your personal life. They want to know what you care about. They want to know what you value, not because they're a good person and they care about your well-being. They're going to use that as ammunition. The second part of that is building a story of how you're incompetent. And the third part is creating that audience. So when the bully lets you trip up in a key meeting by obviously failing to consider vital information or a vital person, they create chaos. They thrive on that chaos and the miscommunication that feed that at every turn that you get in. So they will at this point tell Debbie one side of the story. You know, I told her to include you. I don't know why she didn't listen to me. And they will tell you, the target, Debbie doesn't probably need to be informed. I mean, you can check if you want to, but I don't think so, right? So she will form two different instructions for different people and watch them spin. So it's never landing on the bully side that they're responsible. And that's what goes to your accountable leadership is, right? They will always find a way to deflect, that they always look like the angel, the innocent, the one who tried to help, the one who tried to mediate and get people together when in reality, they're doing the absolute opposite. They're thriving on creating chaos in that organization and blaming the target of the campaign.
0: Yeah, no, that, and and I'm just sitting here and I'm sure you get to this every time you talk about this, like you can just start seeing people's heads, uh, like the wheels in their heads start spinning because they're like, Man, I've, I've been bullied. I, I've had bullies in, in my career. I never realized I was bullied until I heard Sonia start talking, right?
1: The, I get this all the time, and people don't put the pieces together. One of the tragic parts is that people think they're alone, that this happens to nobody else, and they internalize that criticism because it start, starts out so slowly with little things. I was hoping you would meet that deadline, but I guess you're not. It starts with criticism and cynicism and sarcasm and little pokes that hurt your ego. And you're second-guessing yourself, did she really mean it? I mean, did she say this? Or, for instance, she will say one thing in person and write an email where there is nastiness. And I'm like, okay, what, what, what did I miss here? So it's this gradual increase of viciousness that's coming your way. So for the target, the person who's getting bullied, it never comes to that full story, they don't see the full sequence of of the strategy of the bully to get you out. And they also underestimate that the bully is really intent to get you fired. Most people think if I just work harder, if I just adjust to their style, if I just do what she wants me to do, and I'm using she intentionally here, because unfortunately, the vast majority of bullies are women against other women. If men get bullied, it's it's a it's less reported and less documented because there is shame and guilt attached to it and men have even a harder time talking about it. So the the target can never put that story together and never sees what really happened, and it takes often years to digest it. So when somebody has been bullied and they either can try getting into another department that works sometimes but limited most will end up going uh, leaving the organization either voluntarily or getting fired so you get put on a pip a performance improvement plan and then after 30 days you get let go and then they're in the state of i should have done this i should have done that they still internalize it was their fault because that's how that bully groomed them it was your fault your failure in delivering, your failure of being a great employee. I tried, you failed. And so they never say, was it really my fault? Until they see somewhere systematically that this was a strategy and that it's the other part a bully has that they're serial offenders. So then they hear years later, oh, this happened to Tom and this happened to Linda and this happened to Edward and the bully got rewarded and these three people had to leave. So why does it take five people of turnover before an organization pays attention?
0: Yeah. No, there, there's a lot that you said there that I think is worth noting. And I think the, the big thing there is, again, that, that emotional and, and health impact that it can have on people. And, and I think in my experience, a lot of times when, when people start going through that they, they start telling themselves, you know, like, I can't believe I'm letting, I need thicker skin. I can't believe I'm letting this ha- get to me. I need to, I just need to, to suffer through this. I can get through this. But the truth is like these things, just the, those injuries, the, the emotional injuries, the moral injuries, those things, they're just going to keep getting worse and worse. And you need to really pay attention when your body is telling you these things that, that work is becoming too stressful, right?
1: Yes. So unfortunately, we are groomed and told you need to suck it up. And the bully will use that language as well. So when, let's say somebody had enough and goes to HR and says, my boss is withholding information, is making my life miserable, has moved me three times, is overloading me with work, whatever it is. And there comes a conversation where HR said, okay, let's talk about this. And you sit the three of you in a room or with somebody else who's trying to mediate this, the bully will often say, oh, I didn't know you were that sensitive. Oh, I didn't know you wouldn't be able to handle this. Of course, I will adjust. I mean, if you just had told me this, I would have done something different. So the mediator or HR goes out of the room said, problem solved. That's just now the opening of the next avalanche of an escalation process at you. There will be retaliation massive, even though, there should never be retaliation for you saying that something is not right. And that's where you need to start instead of saying, okay, I'm going to work hard. I, the pressure starts building, right? I can't lose my job. I, fi- I won't find another job. I can't pay my mortgage if I lose my job. That panic stops you from critical thinking. And the bully is telling you, "You're you're stupid you you are incompetent so you believe it and you need to have a support system in place that says a you're not stupid b there's always another job and you need to start building an escape route you need to work on your own mental health and you need to instead of sucking it up and and in your head trying to make it work you need to say this is not worth it i deserve better and start building an escape route
0: yeah, and, and I always hate when I hear that suck it up. You know, as, as a Marine Corps veteran, you know, we, we always heard suck it up buttercup, but it was for it was very it was for a very specific reason in those instances. It wasn't meant to be uh, used as widely as it is, especially uh, as generally as it's used, right? For for us, it's oh yeah, it sucks. You gotta carry a 75 pound rucksack um, up you know, a mountain for three miles. Yeah, that sucks, but suck it up. We got to get that done. It's not meant to, you know, Hey, you're, you're being bullied. You're being physically, mentally, emotionally harmed that that's not part of suck it up. Um, And and so, yeah, I I really wish people would stop using that phrase uh, incorrectly because it kind of grinds my gears every time I, I I hear it there.
1: Um, I agree. And what you said earlier was responsible leadership and accountable leadership. You have a right. You are entitled to go to work and feel safe. You are entitled to feel safe emotionally and physically. So we have OSHA who protects you physically. Unfortunately, we have nothing in place that protects you emotionally. But that survival instinct that kicks into you is okay in a life and death situation, in war, in enemy situation. Yes, you need to suck it up. But in a work environment where you're entitled to expect a certain degree of decency, humanity, respect, you should never compromise on this. This is a job. You have a trade-off. I get paid. I deliver my services. As soon as that goes outside of the boundaries of what dignity and respect and humanity dictates, you need to make sure you take care of yourself and get out.
0: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I I'm I'm with you one hundred percent on that. Now you mentioned HR and and mm-hmm. I've seen that exact scenario play out and I'm sure you've seen it hundreds of times. But from you know, to, to give HR a little bit of credit, like what are what are they supposed to do? Like what are what are some of the signs that they can look for? Because, you know, if this is the first time that they're meeting these two people and they are taking them both at face value and the bully does say, Oh, well, I'm sorry, if I'd realized this, I would have changed my behavior. Are are there things that HR can uh, look for during the conversation or follow-up steps that they can take when there's a bullying accusation?
1: Yes. It's a little complicated and complex because HR doesn't have a mandate to look out for that. So their mandate is to keep employees physically safe because that's federal and often state regulations of things that they have to look for. Once you get into this emotional battle that you have. It's very difficult for an HR person to discern, is this just a whiny employee? Uh, They get hundreds of complaints, depending on the size of the organization. It's very tough for them to figure out what is what, because they sit in front of two people. He said, she said, she said, she said, right? You have this thing going on. And one of them is a VP and the other one is a lonely little team member, right? Who, Who should they give credibility? So our human nature's, drifts and we are wired to give the person with authority more credibility, right? Plus, as I said, that bully is very good in portraying a very different personality to the rest of the organization. They know they need HR on their side, so they will be nice to them. They will be kind. They will be enlightened. They will demonstrate leadership qualities to the rest of the organization. And it's this dirty secret that they have targeted a specific person that for whatever reason they see as a barrier in their own success, maybe they take the spotlight, maybe they're smarter, maybe they're younger, maybe they're whatever. HR does not know that this is going on. So they need to educate themselves first on how to investigate these cases different because you investigate sexual harassment very differently from bullying. You have to separate the person who is the target. And Very often, we just have conversations with both of them but we don't make them not work together until we came to a conclusion, which is what we would do in sexual harassment, for instance. If we have a sexual harassment claim, we don't let them work together until we come to a conclusion of what actually is the situation. So they need to investigate differently. And the other big recommendation I have for HR is to have policies in place and give those policies teeth, which means zero tolerance, The first time it's reported, the person who is the offender has to be out. There has to be a termination process that gets kicked off because that person, that bully is a serial offender. How many times does a person have to quit or get fired before you believe the target, before you believe the victim?
0: Yeah. No, I, I love that last piece. It reminds me of, uh, I'm a big fan of the, the sh- Netflix show Ozarks. And uh, there's me a scene too. in the very first episode where they're talking about theft in the workplace. And they go through this whole scenario there. But the, the correct answer is um, they don't say fire in that show. They say kill them. But it, it's <laughs> you got to fire them because it's not the first time they've stole from you. It's the first time they've got caught. Correct. And, and you're right. It's the same thing. It's not the first time they bullied somebody. It's the first time that they've got caught. Um, but with and again, zero tolerance. I, I love that you zeroed in on that because I, I can't tell you how many organizations I've worked with that have zero tolerance policy unless or because uh, in case it's this. They, they make some excuses to not have a zero tolerance policy, even though they say they have a zero tolerance policy. So I hope organizations that are listening, you, you get it. Zero tolerance is zero. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yes, you have to have a fair uh, investigation process. Yes, you have to give both parties their due process. But once it becomes clear that this person is a bully and they're guilty of bullying, I don't care if they're your top salesperson. You have to get rid of them because it's for the good of the organization. Um, You mentioned something else there too that I really want to kind of uh, touch on, uh, retaliation. And and I get asked that a lot. And I'll, I'll tell you what I I give the answer and I'm kind of curious what you think about it and if you have anything to add. But every time somebody starts talking about bullying, what do I do if I'm feeling bullied? Uh, And what about retaliation? I'm like, look, you have to be meticulous about documenting everything. You need to be able to go into that process and say, this happened on this date at this time. These are the people that were there. This was a situation as much detail as you can, because if you just go in and say, you know, something happened somewhere at some time with somebody, you don't have a case. But if you can give details, you've got a pretty, pretty good chance of of proving that you were bullied. And if it does retaliation kick in after the fact of being able to uh, prove that you were retaliated against. So how good is that advice? And do you have anything to
1: add? It's good advice, but it probably won't help you. So it depends on what you're getting bullied for. So there is legal protection if you're getting bullied for Title VII, which are protected classes, issues. So if you have a person in authority who is criticizing you, mocking you, making your life miserable because you are a woman, because you have a foreign nationality, because of your sexual orientation, etc., these are protected classes, You definitely have a lawsuit and then you need to document what incident, what was the conversation. And I can tell you, unfortunately, these documentation requirements are high to prove that is really difficult. So even if you go to a labor lawyer and say, would you please let me know if I have a claim for discrimination based on gender? They will go through a battery of questions. It's, it's a horrible process. It's not comfortable even going through that because you have to relive all the incidents that hurt you over many, many months is painful. So that's where you need to have a date, a situation, who witnessed it, who was there, what was the intent, because the bully is very insidious in keeping it always on the surface sounding innocent, but you know there's a knife there. It's meant to harm and hurt you and abuse you. And it's violent. If you are not in a lucky position, lucky, quote unquote, you're not lucky. Uh, You just have protection. If you are getting bullied for anything other than that, just because the person doesn't like you or you potentially could take their job or shine them. You have zero protection. So even if you document, if you write meticulously a journal of every day of what happened, it does nothing. It, it will not help you. So let's say whistleblower or retaliation. If you, had a, if you went multiple times to HR and they put you on a PIP and you get finally fired and you say, I was fired because I reported the behavior of this manager, that bully was smart enough to document on their side all the things of how you're incompetent. So now you're in front of public court and maybe a legal court trying to prove that you were not incompetent, but this was retaliation and you don't even know why because the bully doesn't tell you, I'm going to get you out because you're potentially competition to me or I don't like this about you. So how are you going to prove that? So it's very difficult because the bully at every instance makes you look in front of others incompetent. So you look very weak. You don't have a case. And that's the horrible thing. So documenting helps your inner mentalness, so that you know you're not crazy, right? This really happened. And that will help you heal much later on. Once you're out of this traumatic situation, you can go back to the journal. You can put your pieces back together. It helps in the healing process with the counselor, with the therapist, To say yes, I was right, feeling injured. I was right, feeling hurt. I was right, feeling you know, crying, falling apart, um, depression. This was systematic and horribly abusive. What I had to endure over many months of verbal abuse and and not just insults. Insults doesn't even cover it. uh, Politely, it it's a it's a Kind of psychological torture that you had to endure because it escalates.
0: Yeah, no, it, it really is. It really is. Um, so we, we talked about this a little bit here. We talked about this great resignation that's mm-hmm. going on. Um, how much does does this factor into to what we're seeing here? Like, are are people are people leaving these jobs now because they've kind of seen that? There's a better way. uh, There's better places to work, maybe even through entrepreneurship. Uh, is, Is that really one of the things that's kind of tying into this great resignation?
1: Maybe. I think people in COVID had time to step all outside of that office to actually have a moment where they're physically removed. If they were in a terrible situation where you had to duck or navigate an office to not run across your boss or not being called into these one-on-one discussions where you were decimated. They had the protection of a screen. It's very difficult to make this correlation that people are resigning because of a terrible boss because on these exit interviews, people leaving voluntarily, we don't ask bullying questions. So HR should be asking, you know, how was that interaction with your boss? There's nowhere an indicator they ask, and and people are often ashamed and embarrassed If you lose your job, you got laid off, it's much easier to say, I got laid off because they reduced the workforce and you got put into that pool. It's much harder to say, I was added to the layoff pool because my boss wanted to get rid of me anyways, or I got fired is hard enough to say, Now you say, because I was bullied, well, to somebody else, it again sounds like you're not assuming responsibility for maybe not being a good cultural fit. It's very hard. So people don't speak about it. It doesn't show up on metrics. It doesn't get talked about. And as I said, just like in domestic violence or any other traumatic event, it often takes years for the person to come to grips with what really happened. They are depressed they they need time to recuperate. They can't put it together. So they can't even verbalize what happened to them until it, much more time has passed. So that's why they don't shop in metrics. But I'm absolutely 100% sure that people during COVID and after COVID said, do I really want to go back to an environment where my boss hates me and wants to get rid of me? There's just no way I'm going to do that. And I'm gonna find a different way to make this work.
0: Yeah, no, and it's it's tragic that people are having to make those those choices. But you're you're right, and and you you've talked a lot about you know kind of what what we don't do in workplaces to to be more aware of bullying and uh, what to do when we see it. So uh, let's switch gears here a little bit and let's talk about when an organization finally comes to grips with the fact that. You know, maybe they have a bully or a few bullies, um, and there's kind of a, a toxic work environment that's built up because of the actions of these bullies. Uh, what are some things an organization can do to kind of get this thing back on the right path?
1: Organizations pride themselves on their, organ- uh, on their culture. And so when you are responsible, and you're an executive, you need to take any complaint serious. You should be keenly interested which department has higher turnover than others because you find these bad managers in those areas. You should be keenly interested in engagement surveys and put on their questions that ask around leadership capabilities and leadership skills because you can filter out the bullies really quickly because they get negative responses repeatedly. You should Take action immediately when you have not valued technical skill over leadership skills because you're responsible for a larger team. And you should feel an ethical obligation to really have strong ethics hotline and protect people that voice complaints and not dismiss them as just a whiny employee. On the other hand, you need to have policies in place for whistleblowers. So when you have bystanders, people who witness that behavior, to give them an avenue to report that because they're objective. They're just on the outside and they want to make it stop because they see it's abusive and they are not part of the game of that bully. So they can intervene. But if you don't give them protection, they're the next one targeted. So make bystander policies. And my favorite one is an ombuds office. So when you will always have conflict in organizations between teams. That's normal. But are these constructive conflicts or destructive Conflicts and an ombudsperson, for instance, acts as a mediator. So, Europe, European companies often have this, large organizations have this, but you can Google ombudsman or ombuds office. This is basically a mediation office, a neutral office where conflict gets resolved and they know all the escalation processes and de escalation processes, and they're not HR. They're outside of HR because HR has a lot of other functions we're not mediators we do have a position in the organization so you need a third party that has some type of neutrality within the power balances
0: so if an organization doesn't have that office are mm-hmm. there are there kind of third party services that they can can use or is this something that it's really better to have a part of your your organization internally
1: It's better to have it internally, but you can always call somebody in who does. We have this emergence of wellness coaches and wellness people, and we have more organizations that look at holistic employee experiences, and you can contract them and say, do our culture assessments on our organization so you can get like a temperature check of where we're at and do we have potential red spots in teams. You can also have, and lots of organizations do that with wellness and employee mental health, get some feedback where employees are particularly stressed, right? You don't need that health information that obviously can't get shared, but you can get statistics back of where you have pockets of highly stressed individuals. Whether uh, You can also look at your own metrics if you look at um, why people are taking mental health days or are on short-term medical leave, right? Is, is there a correlation why there's certain people leaving more often in a particular department than others? So you need to look at the data that you have and figure out what you can do. You shouldn't do something on wellness just as a preventative thing. You need to react on something that's an issue, I think.
0: No, I like that. And, and I like that you mentioned bystanders because, you know, I think that's a, a, a piece that often gets overlooked is is creating that environment of of bystanders and being willing and open to look out for one another. And you know, obviously, you don't want to be you know the boy who cried wolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I'm, I promise you, like the the person who's suffering uh, and being the target of the bully, they're going to love the fact that somebody else noticed and cared enough to kind of step up and corroborate. Uh, what they're going through, but as you mentioned, that, that's kind of hard. So you know what what advice do you have for a bystander when they witness bullying?
1: the The target often says, uh, my colleagues all notice this, and they come to me and they comfort me and they tell me how awesome I am and how great of a work, and I shouldn't take it so serious and this and that. Those people are nice, but they do nothing. They don't do anything to help the bully really out and they don't stop the situation. But the powerful ones are the peers to the bully. So that peer VP, that peer executive something, something, that peer director. And very often at that level, they will not interfere in somebody else's function. They will not call somebody out. Just imagine you're a tenured professor at a top 10 university. Are you calling out the behavior that, has, that you have observed from another professor and say, I don't want you to interact with your team or a person that way, I will report you, I will utilize this. This is where politically correct and safe needs to um, prioritize mental health of all people. And you, again, to your accountable, responsible leadership concept, this is where you are asked to step up and out appear and not be afraid of retaliation because they have power. That is a credible voice. Whereas the peers to the bullied person who are in a much lower power position do not have that credibility or that power.
0: Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. It reminds me of a story that I've shared on here a few times uh, before in different situations. I think it's applicable here. So I'll go ahead and, and share a quick version of it again. Yeah. You know, there's a great story that uh, Secretary Powell uh, shared in his book where he talks about being a young lieutenant and one of his peers uh, heard him yelling and screaming and berating uh, uh, another soldier. I believe it was over the phone and they pulled him aside and they basically said, you know, if if I ever hear you yelling at somebody else like that again, it won't end well for you. And then in his performance review, they followed it up. They, they noticed after having that conversation that he made a concerted effort to not behave that way but they didn't want to let him off the hook so in his performance review they said lieutenant powell has a severe temper but makes a concerted effort to keep it under control and he said that he took that piece of advice and he kept it with him all through his career and i think the point of it here is and i really want like bystanders peers and, and even superiors Having that conversation with the bully is as Sonia mentioned before, sometimes, you know, if it's a bad manager, they don't necessarily know what they're doing, but even if they're a bully, like they know what they're doing, but they may not a hundred percent appreciate the impact of what they're doing. By having that conversation, you just might set that person on a path to, to being a better person. So don't be afraid to have that tough conversation. Don't be afraid to push, uh, point that stuff out. You're doing everybody a favor. When you do, uh, the tricky so, part is no. it
1: takes courage, right? You take courage, yes. and and you know that bully is is not. Uh, they will defend you. Put you corner a bully, they will amp up ten times their aggression and their violence towards all kinds of people. You corner this is like uh, the bully reacts like a bully because they have a hyper survival syndrome going on, where where they're fighting in their head for death or life. Um, And so they, you corner them, they get even more aggressive. So that's the dangerous part. The other avenue, what you just mentioned is if somebody on the lower level could actually jump a hierarchy level and be allowed to talk one up. So in a normal hierarchy, if I, let's say the director is the bully and I'm going to the VP as either a bystander or the person targeted and say, my boss is treating me like crap and I'm afraid for my job and my mental health and my sanity, that VP 99% of the time will push it back down. So I figured out, you know, this sounds like a cat fight between two people. Just talk it out, just have a conversation. I'm sure they're reasonable. I've never met them to be not reasonable. I've known them for five years. They're a wonderful human and they've done nothing but good things and they volunteer at Habitat for Humanity. What do you want from me? That's where where that VP should be paying attention, right? If that's allowed and say, let me check into this or tell me more, not to endorse, but simply to be open that there's a possibility that your judgment is maybe a little bit off or not 100% telling the full picture of who that person is. So I love the Powell story. That was great.
0: Yeah, no, and, and I love it. You know, it's courage and curiosity. that can go a long way. So, Sonia, <laughs> we've been chatting here. Time has flown by. It's been about uh, 45 minutes here or so. Uh, we covered a lot of territory, and there's a lot more to cover on this topic. So, folks, uh, you definitely want to, uh, you know, pay attention to Sonia and the work that she's doing and, and educate yourself on bullying and workplace procedures. But I'm really curious um you know we've talked about a lot of stuff is there anything we didn't get a chance to to talk about that you want to leave listeners with before we close out
1: anybody who felt like i was telling to some degree their story i want to say two important things it wasn't your fault and there's always somebody in a better job that deserves you it wasn't your fault you didn't do anything wrong
0: mm. yes no i love that and that is so important for uh, for folks to hear um So if they want to find out more about you and and what you can do and how you can help them in in bullying situations, uh, what's a good way for them to reach out to you, Sonia?
1: Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Message me. Tell me. You can tell me just your story. You can tell me what you thought of this. You can give me feedback. If you want advice, I can do this as well, or I can always direct you towards more resources where you can find a whole lot more.
0: All right. And uh, listeners, as always, I'll have Sonia's LinkedIn uh, link in the show notes there. So you can reach out to her. Uh, definitely uh, take her up on that. Connect. Uh, you know, she, she's very responsive. We've had a lot of good chats over, over LinkedIn chat and, and uh, all that other good stuff. So, you know, definitely uh, don't suffer in silence. Uh, the, as Sonia said, this is not in your head. Uh, this is not something that you brought on yourself. This is not something that you deserve. Uh, this is something that you deserve to to be able to take care of and be able to take care of uh, in a very constructive and and healthy manner and get yourself in a in a better position, even if it is changing jobs. Right, that that is an option. So, uh, Sonia, thank you very much for being here and being a guest on the Responsible Leadership Podcast, having this discussion with me and my listeners, and bringing all the the wonderful insight and wisdom that you have uh, to this topic. I feel. Uh, very blessed to have had this conversation. Thank you very much for being with me and my listeners today.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'm really grateful that you're making space for this important topic. Well,
0: all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at Leadership dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, my name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels
1: again with a big
0: hole. Touchdown! On this show, we come to humanize... Athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time. On Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace
1: and power. Electric ass.
0: trick